Welcome to the teaching ministry at Calvary Port St. Lucie. Please join lead pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, The Way of Salvation. Okay, so if you were with us last week, we started to follow Jesus as he's made his way uh, south, making his final trip to Jerusalem, all right? So his ministry up in Galilee, around the Sea of Galilee, that ministry is now over. And so the Lord and his 12 apostles are heading south to Jerusalem. Okay, so if you wanna find Jerusalem, you find the middle bottom part of your map, that's the northern end of the Dead Sea, and you go left, and you'll see the city of Jerusalem, the city of David. And so that's Jesus' ultimate destination because that's where he's going to die for the sins of all the world. He's making his way south, but before he goes to Jerusalem, he has some ministry to do in Perea, which is east of the Jordan River, and of course, that is today, modern-day Jordan. And so while the Lord was in Perea, he taught the Word of God, he healed the sick, and he answered some really tough questions about marriage and divorce. So if you weren't with us last week, you gotta go back, you gotta listen or watch to the message, Marriage Matters, as we heard about what Jesus says. And by the way, who cares what, what, what anybody else says? It's what Jesus says, amen? So we found out last week what Jesus has to say about marriage and divorce. And of course, you can listen to that message at our website, or you can, better yet, uh, download our podcast, Calvary Port St. Lucie podcast, and listen to any of these messages. And so while the Lord was ministering in Perea, Parents kept bringing their children to Jesus so that he would bless them, that he would pray over them. And you need to know that Jesus absolutely loved to hang out with kids. But his disciples, not so much. The disciples were actually irritated by these little kids. And so today we're gonna pick it up in Mark 10, verse 13. And so it says there that they, that's parents, were bringing children to him, that's Jesus, that he might touch them. And the disciples, look at this, rebuked them. The disciples rebuked the parents. So I want you to imagine the scene. All right, there's Jesus. He's got a large crowd around him. And they're hearing the word of God. He's teaching the word of God. And then there's a mom, and she's got, I don't know, three kids, let's say. And she's trying to get her kids to Jesus because she wants Jesus to bless her kids. And so she's telling the little ones, all right, everybody, stay together, hold hands, here we go. Excuse me, excuse me, right? And they're making their way to Jesus. And as this is happening, the disciples are standing over to the side and they're saying to one another, here comes another one. Here we go again. The Lord doesn't need to be bothered by these little kids. He's too important to be bothered by children. He's got more important things to do. And one of the disciples, or maybe some of them, all stepped in front of the mom and said something like, enough, Jesus is no longer blessing any kids today. And I'm putting it mildly. The Bible says the disciples rebuked the parents. Now, how do you think Jesus is gonna respond when 
he sees this happening, when he sees the kids standing there being rebuked by disciples and their faces are dropping because they really wanna just be with Jesus. Let's find out how Jesus responds now in verse 14. It says, but when Jesus saw it, he was, what's the word? Yeah, I have the ESV, it's indignant. And said to them, and I'm sure he had to calm himself down because he's indignant, but there's kids around, so you don't show your anger. Scare the kids, right? So he tells his disciples, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. And so once again, the disciples told the moms, you know, enough, Jesus is done blessing kids today. And the Lord saw it, he heard it, and he got really mad. The word's indignant, it's a strong word. And I started to think as I was studying for this message, you know, who did Jesus get angry at? He, he didn't get angry very often, but when he got angry, he got angry. And so who did he get angry at? And I could think of three groups, maybe you can think of more later. But the first group of people that Jesus got angry at were the Pharisees, right? The religious leaders of the day. If you ever wanna read a scathing rebuke from Jesus to a group of guys, read Matthew 23. He lets these guys have it, why? He calls them whited sepulchers. What does that mean? That means on the outside of the tomb, they're all whitewashed and beautiful. But ladies and gentlemen, what's on the inside of a, of a tomb? dead man bones. And he's saying, you guys, you look so great on the outside with your flowing robes and your religious garb, but on the inside, you're spiritually dead. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And he lets them have it in Matthew 23. And so Jesus didn't like religious hypocrisy. And by the way, he still doesn't like it today. And he was also angry, second group, with the profiteers. That's those who had the audacity to turn God's temple into a market and raise prices for things they're selling in order to rip pe God's people off in the name of religion. And what did Jesus do? He walked in there and started throwing their tables. That's what you call angry. And the third group that Jesus got angry at were these disciples. Why? Because they were hindering little children from coming to him. And he said, guys, you're not accurately representing me. Let the little children come to me and forbid them not, for to such belong the kingdom of God. And so what did he do? He scooped these little guys up, the little rugrats, and he hugged them and he blessed them because he loves them so much. How many of you ever heard of the 414 window? Not the 1040 window, but the 414 window. If you've heard of that, let me see your hand. Yeah, we got a few. Okay, so the 414 window is very interesting. It has to do with the age bracket when people are most likely to come to the Lord. Okay, so the Gospel Coalition did a survey, and I quote, in a 2015 survey, the National Association of Evangelicals found that 63% of Christians accepted Jesus Christ between the ages of four, that's pre-K, and 14, that's around ninth grade. 
And by the way, that's very, very conservative because other, when you Google this, other statistics make the percentage much higher. Jesus says, let the little children come to me and don't forbid them. Why did Jesus say that? Well, one of the reasons why is because if somebody doesn't come to Christ when they're a kid, they may never come. You see, there's something about life in a fallen world that has a way of hardening our hearts. There's, there's something about getting older where we become more proud, more stubborn, more obstinate. And what happens is that the older we get, oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, the older we get, the harder we become to the claims of Jesus Christ. That's why it's so important that people come to Christ when their hearts are still tender, when they're still kids. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, this is a big deal. Why? Because when a little kid gets saved, they have their whole life to glorify God and to do what they were made to do. That's important. When a little kid gets saved, they got their whole life to serve the Lord. No disrespect, but when we, every once in a while we'll see older people like in their 80s come to Jesus during a weekend service and we're thankful for that. We praise God for that. But, but realistically, how much time does that guy have to serve the Lord? But a little kid, they got their whole life to glorify the Lord and to be used by the Lord to change the world. This is a big Deal, that's why Jesus got mad at the disciples. Hey, stop hindering these kids from coming to me. Let them come to me. Let them have their lives changed. And by the way, when somebody comes to Christ when they're a little kid, do you realize how much pain and suffering they're gonna avoid in life? Because they come into a relationship with Jesus now rather than later. And so when the Lord said, let the little children come to me, don't hinder them, for to such belong the kingdom of God. I don't want you to misunderstand. He wasn't saying that these little kids are so perfect that they deserve to go to heaven when they die. That's not what he's saying. How many of you have kids? Let me see your hands. How many of those kids are perfect? Man, all the hands just went down like that. We know better than that. Every Sunday after this service, um, each week, my family and I, we all get together. I love Sundays. Um, the main reason I love it, uh, the, well, I mean, I'll, I'll put it this way. The second, the second most important reason I love Sundays is because I get to be here with you to share the word of God. The first number one reason I love Sundays is because I get to hang out with my family in a little while after we've been busy all week. And so we get together, we connect, we play games, we hang out. Um, and it's a, it's a wonderful time. So it's me and Stacy. It's my oldest daughter, Megan, her husband, Ethan, who's our Calvary Kids Director. It's uh, Mandy, who our middle daughter. It's uh, Mary and Angel. Mary's our youngest daughter, her husband, Angel. And the newest member of our family, by the way, if you haven't heard, little Serafina. And so Serafina is an absolute joy to us, Ethan and Megan fostered a lot of kids, but they fostered her for 14 months. And on June 22nd of this year, the state of Florida gave them the right to adopt little Serafina. And so she is now part of our family and we thank God for Serafina. And so last Sunday, we were all together at my house and we were all in the kitchen and we were hanging out and we we're eating some delicious fudge that Stacy got in a recent trip 
to Mackinac Island that she made with our middle daughter, Mandy. And so we're all eating the fudge and Stacy said, hey, I got some pictures that I wanna share with you from the, the vacation. And so we're like, okay, let's all go. So we left the fudge on the kitchen counter and we all started to go to another room. And that's about the time when Megan said to little Serafina, no more fudge, honey, let's go look at Nana's pictures. So we all go into the other room um, we upload the pictures on the TV. We're looking at the pictures. And then all of a sudden, Serafina, she says, I'm gonna get my hat. Now, I used to not speak toddler, but I'm getting really good at it. So, so I'm gonna get my hat means I'm going to go and get my hat, everybody. The hat Nana got me in Michigan. And so she leaves the room we're in. And then a little while later, no one's really noticing, she comes back. And about 10 minutes later, we're still looking at pictures, talking, and she's like, I can get my hat. <laughs> she leaves, and she comes back. She does this over and over. Now, how many of you believe she's actually going to get her hat? <laughs> no, she's going into the kitchen, climbing up the chair, and she's doing what mommy said not to do. She's eating the fudge. <laughs> and we have proof, by the way. <laughs> right there. Those are not the teeth marks of an adult. Those are the teeth marks of a two and a half year old girl. Now, let me ask you a question. Where does Serafina learn to lie? I'm gonna get my hat. She wasn't getting her hat. She's two and a half years old. Where'd she learn to lie? Did anybody teach her to lie? No, it's in her little wicked heart. <laughs> Just like it's in our little wicked hearts too because we're all born with sin natures. And so when Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for to such belong the kingdom of heaven. He wasn't saying that these little kids are so perfect they deserve to go to heaven. Here's what he's saying. Little kids are humble. Little kids are open. They're receptive. They're dependent. And not only that, Little kids are trusting attitudes that are needed to receive the grace of God. See, how, how are we as sinners changed into saints? Because we're so good? No, it's when we receive the grace of God. And little kids have that. They're so precious, but they have that openness, that receptivity, that humility, and that's why Jesus said in verse 15, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive, say the word receive, nowhere does it say earn. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Ladies and gentlemen, kids are wide open to receiving Jesus Christ. Have you noticed this? Compared to some of the adults that you know at work who are so hard and so angry about whatever, kids are just the opposite. They're wide open. They're wide open to learn about the Lord. This is why our Calvary Kids Ministry is so absolutely vital. This is why our Wednesday night student ministry for the bigger kids is so vital because we have people, staff, but also a lot of volunteers that are giving of their time, sacrificing their time, and, and, and they're pouring in 
to these kids who are wide open to the Lord. And so can you join me and let's thank everybody who serves in our kids ministry, our student ministry, and let them know how much we thank them. So awesome. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. And by the way, parents, when you bring them in here, between zero and fifth grade, you're not bringing them into Jesus. They don't even get what I'm saying. It's way over their heads. You wanna bring them to Jesus, bring them over there where people are preparing during the week to pour into your kids and to love your kids and so they can learn Jesus on their level. And, and, And maybe God's tugging on your heart and maybe he's saying it's time for you to stop just coming in this room, sitting and receiving and going home It's time to make this your church home and it's time to serve and I'm calling you to serve our kids. And if you hear the voice of the Lord, you need to obey. Whether it's the little kids over there or the bigger kids on Wednesday night, listen, God's changed you and you need to let somebody know and you need to minister. And so I'm not saying that if you're not called, I'm not not talking to you, I'm talking about if you are called and God's nudging on your heart, here's what you do. You go to our website calvarypsl.com, you click on next steps. There's a drop-down window. You click on Calvary Serve Teams and you got all these boxes on your screen. One box says Calvary Kids, one box says Calvary Students. You click on it and you just follow the directions and somebody will give you a call and we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens here. But I wanna ask you whether you're called to kids or called to something else, don't just come and sit and receive and leave Make this your church home if God's calling you here and begin to serve the Lord. Verse 17 says, and as Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Okay, and so right now you have been introduced formally to the rich young ruler. All right, so why do we call him the rich young ruler? The reason we call him rich is because in verse 22, Mark's gospel says that he has great possessions. Why do we call him young? Because Matthew's gospel says that he's a young man. Why do we call him a ruler? Because Luke's gospel says that he's a ruler, most likely of a synagogue, rich, young, ruler, he comes, he falls down on his knees before the Lord and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the Lord says in verse 18, why do you call me good? No one is good except who? God alone, all right? And so concerning this word good, the question is this, Was the young young man using the term in the relative sense or was he using the term in the absolute sense? There is a difference. If he was using the term good teacher in the relative sense, then what he's saying is, is, Lord, compared to other men, you're, you're more moral. You're a righteous dude, Lord. You're like one of the, 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 the most honest, trustworthy people I've ever met. You're a good teacher in the relative sense if he's using it in the absolute sense, then what he is saying as he's on his knees before the Lord is, Lord, you're a good teacher. You're absolutely good. You are perfectly good. 
Jesus took it in the absolute sense. And that's why in verse 18, he says, why do you call me good? There's no one good except who? God. Now, you need to understand that Jesus was not denying his deity here. I could take three hours right now and share with you from the New Testament while verse after verse after verse after verse after verse teaches the deity of Jesus Christ. Jesus knew he was God in the flesh. I'll just share one passage with you. In John 14, when Jesus was with Philip and Philip said, Lord, just show us the Father and it'll be sufficient for us. Check out what Jesus says to Philip. Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen who? The Father. Philip, if you're looking at me, you're looking at the Father. Philip, if you're looking at me, you're looking at God. Do you see this? This is just one in many, 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 many verses. Now, if I were to stand before you today at the 11 o'clock service and say, whoever's looking at me is looking at God, you would probably call the guys with the white suits and take me away, right? But Jesus said this, and he rose from the dead to prove that what he said is true. When you look at Jesus, you're looking at God. So, so listen, Jesus was not denying his deity when he said, why do you call me good? There's none good but God alone. No, what he's doing is he's trying to get this young man to think through the implications of his words and his actions. Okay, so think, th think through this with me. What were the rich young ruler's words? He said, you are the good, in the absolute sense, teacher. What were his actions? He's kneeling down before the Lord. And so the Lord, in essence, is saying to this rich young ruler, listen, you call me good? There's none good but God alone. Are you saying I am God? Do you realize what your actions are implicating here? You're, you're kneeling down. Every Jew in Israel knows you, don't, you do not kneel down to anybody ever. You worship who alone? God. Are you saying by kneeling down before me that I am God? What is Jesus doing? He's trying to get the rich young ruler to think really deeply about what he believes about Jesus. Does he really believe Jesus is the son of God? Like Peter, who said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Peter believed it in his heart. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Peter. Man has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. He, does this rich young ruler really believe he's the son of God? Or is this whole thing just flattery? Nonetheless, he says to Jesus in verse 17, what must I do? Everybody say the word do, and that should be a red flag. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, by saying that, he just proved he's not looking for a savior, he's looking to save himself. Does that make sense to you guys? So he's trying to save himself, and so Jesus is like, okay, you wanna save yourself? Let's go with this. Look at verse 19. Jesus says, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. 
Do not bear false witness. In other words, don't lie. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. Rich young ruler, do you wanna know how you can save yourself? Keep the 10 commandments perfectly throughout your whole life. If you can keep the 10 commandments perfectly throughout your whole life, you will inherit eternal life. Question, church family. Who alone has ever kept the 10 commandments perfectly in their whole life? Jesus. Had this guy ever kept the 10 commandments perfectly in his whole life? Right, not even close, not even close. And so here's the question. Why in the world would Jesus list the commandments to the rich young ruler? What must I do? What must I do? to inherit eternal life. And Jesus lists the commandments. Why would he do that? Well, Paul tells us in Romans. Check it out. This is a very important verse to understand the very first step of the gospel. And ladies and gentlemen, look at me real quick. This is what a lot of people do. They skip over this truth right here of the gospel. And then they're religious and they keep trying to earn their way to heaven until they die and die in their sins and go to hell. So you need to wake up, please, and get this truth right here. Because listen, if you go out today and you ask 10 people, what do you need to do to inherit eternal life? What's nine out of 10 people gonna tell you? Just be a good guy, man. Okay, so here's God's truth. If you're with me, say amen right here. Uh, we'll break it in half. Here's the first part. For by the works of the law, the Ten Commandments, no human being will be justified in God's sight. That's pretty plain. By keeping the Ten Commandments, nobody, no human being will be justified. The word justified means to be declared righteous by God. You cannot, you will not ever be justified, declared righteous in God's sight by being good or keeping the Ten Commandments. All right, so what's the purpose of the law then? What's the purpose of the Ten Commandments then? Second half of the verse, since through the law comes, what's the last three words? Bingo. Why would Jesus list the commandments to the rich young ruler? Here's why. Because he wanted him to see his sin and his need for a savior. Does this make sense to you guys? And so I love the way Warren Wearsby put it. Jesus did not introduce the law to show the young man how to be saved, but to show him that he needed to be saved. And so the law, the 10 commandments, is, it's like a mirror. It shows us our blemishes. It shows us our sins. Okay, so obviously this guy just woke up in, in the morning Right, he's looking into the mirror and he's probably thinking stuff like, man, wow, I'm a mess. Okay, I need to put some cold water on my face, get the sleep out of my eyes. I need to put some water in my hair and comb it and gel it, right? I need to shave the stubble off my face. I need to trim the nose hairs that I got everywhere. Get this dried spit off my lips, right? Whatever it might be, what's the mirror's purpose? It's showing him his imperfections. 
Listen, God's law, the 10 commandments are given to us to show us our sin. And by the way, let me just say this. If you're ever watching TV and you see a couple wake up together in bed and his hair is perfect and she's got makeup on and they look at each other and they give each other a big kiss, just know that's not reality, that's TV. I grew up in the 70s. I like the scope commercials from the 70s and the 80s. You guys remember this? Husband and wife, they wake up and they're like, morning, right? That's more realistic. But back to our illustration, a mirror shows us our blemishes and God's word is a mirror and it shows us our sin and our need for a savior. And so what is Jesus doing here? What Jesus is doing here, hey, rich young ruler, you see your sin? hoping that he'll see his sin, be humble enough to admit that he's a sinner and see his need for the savior. But you know what? This guy, he's not getting it. And so now in verse uh, 20, check out verse 21. I'm sorry, verse 20, verse 20. And the rich young ruler said to Jesus, teacher, and by the way, did you notice he dropped good? Do you see that? That means he does not believe Jesus is absolutely good, that he is the son of God. Teacher, all these, these commandments, I have kept from my youth. I'm a good guy. In other words, he looks into the mirror that Jesus is holding up and he's like, I actually look pretty good. I'm okay. Was he okay? No. Not even close. You see, even, even if he had some kind of external religiosity and was able to cross his T's and dot his I's, outwardly, inwardly, he was a sinner. Here's why. Because God's word says that if we hate our brother from our heart, we're murderers. 1 John three fifteen. That means that right now, if there's someone who hurt you and you in your heart hate that person, God's word, not me, God's word says you're a murderer and you need to forgive that person. You say, you don't know what he did to me or she did to me. Listen, I don't need to know. You need to forgive him. Because listen, Jesus said, if you don't forgive men their trespasses against you, your father will not forgive you of your sins. Let it go. This guy, this rich young ruler may on the outside have been you know, really religious or whatever, but on the inside, Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount that if you look at a woman to lust after her, you have committed adultery with her already in your heart. And so was he that good? I ask you this question, is anyone good really? No, look at God's word. None is righteous, no, not one. For all, say all please, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so we're all sinners. The wages of sin is death. We all have come short of the glory of God, but this guy, he's not seeing it. Okay, so why can't he see his sin? Why is he not seeing his sin? Here's, here's, here's my take on it. I think it's because he's used to comparing himself with other people. And how many of you know when you compare yourself with other people, you look pretty good, right? 
my brother and I used to work out. You can tell by looking at me, I don't do it very much anymore. But when I was a teenager, I used to go with my brother to MacDill Air Force Base Gym and we were nuts. We would pump iron like for hours. And then we'd go into the, the, the men's room, big old mirror. And my brother and I would stand in the mirror and we would, right? And compare ourselves to one another to see who was bigger. And, and I remember this and I remember thinking, man, I got this six pack going on. And by the way, it's still there. It's just under a bunch of blubber, but I got, you could see it, man. You could see, when I was 15 years old, you could see it. And I used to do that, right? My brother wasn't quite there yet. I'm thinking I'm all that, but here's what I know. I was like five foot seven or eight, 130 pounds in those days. If a big 250 pound, six foot three muscle bound guy stood behind me and went like this, what I would do would be like, I gotta go and I'd be out of there. <laughs> Why? Because compared to my brother, I look pretty good. But compared to him, not a chance. Ladies and gentlemen, we compare ourselves to other people and we look pretty good. Hey, I'm not like Hitler. Hell's for people like Hitler. I'm a good guy. Of course, God's gonna accept me. Listen, stop comparing yourself with other people. Start comparing yourself with the standard of God's word and realize that we're all sinners and we all desperately need a savior, Jesus. He's the only way. You don't go to heaven by being good. You go to heaven by accepting the only one who was ever good, Jesus. He's the answer to life. And he's the only one that'll ever fill that void. And that void will never be filled in your heart by trying to be good. It'll be filled when you finally admit, you don't jump over that step, but you finally admit I'm a sinner. I deserve hell, but he died in my place and suffered hell in my place. Jesus, please save me. And he comes in and he gives you that peace that surpasses all understanding. That's Christianity. And that is not legalism. Legalism damns people's souls to hell. But here's what you need to know. God loves everybody. He even loves self-righteous people. Look at the very next verse in verse 21. It says, and Jesus looking at him. Okay, this is an intent look in the Greek, like boring through x-ray vision into this guy's heart. And Jesus looking at him, what's the next two words? Loved him. And said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, here it is right here, follow me, follow me. And so Jesus looks into this guy's heart and he sees where his faith actually was. Check it out. The rich young ruler's faith was not in Jesus Christ. It was where? Money. That was his God. He loved money, he cherished money, he relied on money, he depended on money, he trusted in money. And that's a big, big problem, why? Because Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and what? Money. And so it's time to choose, rich young ruler. 
You have a choice to make. Are you gonna keep following your false God of money, loving it, serving it, cherishing it, trusting in it? Or are you gonna turn from that false God and begin to follow the true God, Jesus Christ? He says, follow me. And you can't have it both ways. You can't say a little prayer and keep following your money and think you're going to heaven. It's time to choose. Christ or money? True God or false God? Because you can't serve both. And how in the world did this young man respond? All right, here's the invitation. What's he gonna do? Verse 22, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had, what? Great possessions. And so this guy is confronted with the truth, with the choice, and he starts to think about his costly clothes, his huge house, his vast vineyards, his fruitful farms, and he starts to think, I can't give all that up. He turns his back on Jesus, and he walks away. And Jesus loved him. And so you know this absolutely breaks Jesus' heart, just like it breaks Jesus' heart when anybody chooses a false idol over him. And so, verse 23, Jesus says, he looks around and he said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. All right, so camels are the biggest thing in Israel. And so what is Jesus doing? He's taking the biggest thing in Israel, a camel, and the smallest thing in Israel, the eye of a sewing needle, in order to illustrate how hard it is for a rich man to go to heaven. He's saying it's easier, can you imagine in your mind's eye a big old camel trying to squeeze through that little hole? He says that will be easier than for rich people to go to heaven. And so that leads you to your next point. If we're not careful, we can allow wealth to make us proud and spiritually insensitive. Proud. What does wealth do if we're not careful? It makes us proud. And so here's the thinking. You know, I have this beautiful home in this beautiful neighborhood, but this guy's got this little one bedroom, one bath apartment, you know, in the ghetto. I have this big bank account. This guy's up to his ears in debt. I've got this amazing car. This guy's riding around this 10-year-old hunk of junk. Therefore, I am better than him. People don't admit it, but that's what they really believe in their heart. I'm better than those people or those people that don't live like I live and have what I have. It's pride. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, do, do you not understand? Every single human being has infinite value in God's eyes and the ground at the, at, the, at the cross is level. We're all equal before God. 
And if we're not careful, wealth makes us spiritually insensitive. Man, I've got this beautiful home. I've got this big bank account. I've got all this comfort. I've got the yacht. I've got everything, the pool. And so tell me again why I need Jesus. Honey, the yacht's ready. All right, I'll be there in a minute. Sunday morning, they're off on the intercoastal, not even thinking about Jesus, not even thinking about church. Do you, do you see what we're, what we're doing here? Now, I gotta clarify. Does that mean that all rich people don't go to heaven? Well, let's think about this. In the Old Testament, you had Abraham, and you had Job, and you had Daniel, and you had Joseph. To name a few, they were all rich, and they all went to heaven. In the New Testament, you've got Zacchaeus, that wee little man that went up the tree. And you got Joseph of Arimathea and you got Lydia, just to name a few, they all went to heaven. Okay, and so we're not saying that all rich people go to hell, that's, that's a false doctrine. Okay, so what's the difference between the biblical characters that I just named and the rich young ruler? If you're with me, say amen here. Don't miss this, here's the difference. The biblical characters possessed wealth. The rich young ruler, wealth possessed him. Do you possess money or does money possess you? Money, you've heard it before, is a great tool, but it's a horrible master. And so don't let it become your master. Don't let it become your God. If God blesses you in your life and your finances start to increase, please memorize Psalm 62, 10. If riches, riches increase, set not your heart upon them. Don't fall in love with your money for it's the love of money that is the root of all evil. Money is not the root of all evil. It's the love of money. And so if riches increase in your life, don't love it, don't cherish it, don't depend on it, don't trust in it, don't make it your God like the rich young ruler. Here's what you do. You love and you depend and you rely and you trust in Jesus Christ alone. And then as you put him first, he'll bless you so you can be a blessing to other people. See, that's, that's the way things work. Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all these things will be added unto you. That's the order, God first and then I'm gonna take care of you. I'll meet your needs, I'll bless you. How can you prove that, God, that, that money is not your God? We can talk all we want, but how do we prove it? Here's how you prove it, Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Proverbs 3, 9 says, honor the Lord with your riches and the first fruits of all your increase. And so what does that mean? That means in the Old Testament, they honored God. With what, their leftovers? No, with their first fruits. And so the best of the crop goes to the Lord, and I live on the rest. I don't give God my junk. I don't give God what's left over. He's the first thought. This is why we emphasize in this local church the principle of the tithe. We don't teach the law of the tithe. People say, hey, we're not under the law, we're under grace. Well, number one, I think if you're under the law and you're required to give 10% under grace, you probably should be given more after all that God's done in your life. But number two, the principle of the tithe predates the law by over 400 years. Abraham tithed to Melchizedek, who is a Christophany, uh, at least a type of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. 
It's a principle that you give God your best. And when you give God your best, some people say, well, I'm not gonna be able to survive. I'm not gonna be able to pay my bills. I'm not gonna be able to eat. You need to get to the next verse. Proverbs 3, 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your increase. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats with new wine. You honor God, he blesses you. You do not give in order to get. You give to honor God. And when you put him first, he comes and he meets all of your needs. He blesses you materially. He blesses you immaterially. Some of you need to step up and show that God is not your money by not doing this, but doing this. And giving. And giving. And giving some more. And then giving some more. And so the rich young ruler walked away when he heard Jesus say what he said. And I wanna encourage you too that if you're up to your years in debt and you need help, that's why we have Financial Peace University that's kicking off soon here in our church. Sign up for that Monday night group and get the help that you need. And so in verse 26 now, it says that they, the disciples, were exceedingly astonished by what Jesus just said. Hey, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than the rich people to go to heaven. And the disciples are flipping out, they're freaking out. They're exceedingly astonished. And they said to him, well, who can be saved? Right, and so in that culture, they believed that riches were a sign of God's blessing. So of course rich people are going to heaven. And Jesus just messed up their theology. And so now they're freaking out and they're like, well, who can be saved if rich people, you know, are not on their way to heaven? And Jesus in verse 27 looks at them and says, with man, it is, what's the word? But not with God, for all things are possible with God, amen? And then Peter is Peter. He's always doing this. Verse 28, Peter began to say to him, well, Jesus, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life but many who are first will be last and the last will be first and so Peter says to Jesus Jesus we were willing to do what the rich young ruler was not willing to do we gave it all up we left our lucrative fishing business to follow you and what does the Lord do he commends him he said Peter I know you've chosen to follow me and you're gonna be blessed in this life and you're gonna be blessed in the next life as well. And so here's how we're gonna finish this message. I'm gonna ask you to stay with me to the end. We're gonna read verses 32 through 36. And right now we're gonna point out to everyone who's listening the way of salvation. And so verse 32, and they were on the road going up to where? Okay, he's heading to Jerusalem. 
And Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they, the disciples, were amazed. And those who followed him were afraid because they knew all those Pharisees are waiting to kill him. And taking the 12 again, he began to tell them what was going to happen to him. Verse 33, saying, See, we're going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and do what to him? Kill him. But the good news is after three days, he will rise. Jesus was heading to Jerusalem, why? To accomplish his primary mission, the reason he came from heaven to earth, and that is to suffer and to die and to rise again. The disciples said in verse 26, who can be saved? Jesus says in verse 27, with man it's impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. So here's your last two points, here's the gospel. With man, salvation is impossible, why? For the wages of sin is what? Death. And so if you're a sinner, I know I am, we deserve death, that's God's word. Now man is not a one part being, we're two part beings. We're body, soul, material, immaterial, flesh and spirit. So when we take our last breath, our body is buried and dies, dies and is buried, but our soul, if we die in our sins, goes and pays for those sins in hell. We can't save ourselves, it's impossible. No good work will ever rectify the fact that we're sinners. That's the bad news. How many of you are glad there's a second half to Romans 6.23? Jesus says, but all things are possible with God. Why? He says, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so it's a free gift. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, you need to, number one, admit you're a sinner and that you need a savior. And then number two, you need to understand that Jesus is the only way because he's the only one who died for your sins and mine and rose again. And then number three, you need to receive Jesus as your only hope and as your salvation. And so some may be here today and you've never received Jesus. You've never given your life to follow Jesus. You may have gone to church, you may have grown up in a religious family, but you've never made that commitment of your life to Christ. And I wanna ask you, would you be willing to come to Christ right now? He stood for you publicly on a nail on the cross, pouring out his blood, the eternal son of God, as a man pouring out his blood 
so that his blood could wash away all your sins. Are you willing to accept him and his blood? Or maybe you're here and you've accepted Christ a long time ago, but you're not living for him right now. Are you willing to stand up and rededicate your life to Jesus and say, Lord, I'm gonna follow you. And so if you're here today and you wanna come to Christ or you wanna come back to Christ, I'm gonna ask you to just stand to your feet and we're gonna take care of that right now, whoever you might be. I know the Lord's calling somebody here this afternoon. I wanna ask you to have the courage. No one's gonna do this. Everybody's gonna cheer you because you know this is the most important, most important decision in your life right here. I wanna ask you to stand and remain standing. Awesome. Just stand and remain standing, awesome. Yeah, awesome, in the back, beautiful. Awesome, awesome, God bless you, very cool. I took a lot of courage, commend you for that. Let's really encourage these people as they give their lives to Christ or come back to Christ. All right, awesome. Nothing's more important than this right here, people coming to Jesus Christ. God bless you all in the back, man. Awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, he allowed people to spit on him. The eternal son of God allowed people to spit on him and open his back up with a flagellum and drive nails into his hands. That's how much he loves you. Will you accept his love? Come to Christ, he's the only way. It's the last call before we Go to the Lord in prayer. If anyone else wants to join these brave souls here this afternoon. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. That's awesome. Okay. So those of you who are standing, I, I commend you for your courage. And I say this um, every time we do this, and that here's the words of Jesus. If you will acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. I love the fact that we do this publicly because Christianity is something to get excited about. And so what we're doing is we're gonna go to the Lord in prayer, just so you completely understand what's going on. So you're going this way, you stop, right? This is your way, whatever sin. You don't reform your life and try to be good. You just turn away from that and you turn to Jesus who alone has power to forgive it and to give you power to live different. You turn to Jesus believing he died for you and you receive him, that's it. And so we're gonna do that right now. If you bow your heads and close your eyes, say this, please, 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 in your heart to Jesus, don't repeat words, but in your heart say to the Lord, dear Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins and for living my own life without acknowledging you, but I turn to you right now as my only hope. I believe you died in my place and paid for my sins. And I believe you rose again the third day. And so right now I choose you 
come into my heart, forgive my sins, and be my savior and my boss. It's in your name I pray, amen, amen. You guys can be seated. Now, yes, let's, let's encourage them one more time. Okay. So for some people, this is all brand new and they're thinking, man, is that it? Well, what you just did is you prayed a prayer of commitment to the Lord, that he now is your master, he is your savior. And so as you have, I'm quoting the Bible, as you have received Christ as Lord, so walk now in him. We wanna be there for you as your church family, to love you, uh, to encourage you, uh, to give you a free Bible after the service. Andrew's gonna close in prayer, people are gonna leave. Uh, you guys come up who just committed your lives to Christ. We'll give you a free Bible and some other resources. We wanna encourage you to get baptized. That's the first step of obedience. We wanna encourage you to, to join a group during the week and make some friends, okay? And so all of this is part of you receive Christ and then you walk in Him. And I'm so happy for your decision. I love you guys. And Andrew's gonna come out with closing announcements. We'll see you.